Hello, everybody. This is Ever Shipman, and welcome to the Maximize Your Mind podcast, where we develop the mentality necessary to forge fitness and lifestyle to achieve anything that you want from life. Greetings, everybody. This is in America the Eve of Thanksgiving. All right. This is a day that, you know, we give thanks and just look around and appreciate those around us who are family and loved ones and, you know, our friends, regardless of what your, you know, whatever your background is, your ethnicity, your beliefs or anything. This is just kind of, you know, that universal time where we pause, we take a moment from life, we appreciate what's going on in our lives, good, the bad, um, and just use it to grow from it and just really um, appreciate those around us. So, you know, if you haven't yet, reach out to someone that you love and someone that may be close to you that you haven't spoke to in a while and just, you know, tell them you love them. Tell them you appreciate them. Give them some sort of encouragement, some sort of compliment. Just take that time to do that. It's important. It's essential. And um, and yeah. So that is your assignment for today and for the rest of this holiday season. Just look for those moments and those opportunities. Um, Today, I'm actually going to get a little bare with you guys. Okay, this is something I've actually never really done. I've talked about it, um, I guess, you know, through the years. I've kind of shared this story in bits and in pieces And even today, I'm not going to give the full story. We'd be here forever. But I am going to strip down and get into my tank and my boxer briefs. Okay, I've always joked with people that I'm an exhibitionist in my other life. Right. (laughs) And if I had my way, I would spend most of my my days naked, you know, whether it's on vacation around the house Um, At one point in time, I was even going to host a retreat where participants and myself, we would go through certain trainings completely naked. And I've actually seen after, you know, having that idea, I actually have seen different interpretations of it uh, across the world in Europe where they do these retreats and they're naked. And that was my thing for a while. Um, and it wasn't some freakish, perverted type of thing. It was designed to, to boost mental morale, self-confidence, um, help overcome mindset obstacles um, so that you could reach success and fitness in life. Because if you can bear yourself, if you can bear yourself at that very intimate, very physical level, then it would help to develop that mental toughness, that mental mindset, that idea of developing a thick skin. So that you can success in the many avenues and various um, uh, regions of your life. Okay. Now, if you were to see me on the street today, okay, you would likely see me in, you know, the everyday average athletic gear, relaxed sweats, you know, thermal hoodie combo, sneakers, that sort of thing. If you saw me in a tank, however, it may seem kind of shocking. Why? Because I'm just not typically comfortable in them. But I've I've learned to wear them more. Even when I would try out for auditions back in the day, it was never um, something that one I wasn't encouraged to do it. You know that was actually something that was of the devil in a sense. But it was never something that I actually 
became comfortable with, but through my years and experiences, a fitness trainer and expert, it's become something that I've had to kind of wear with the territory. Like I know speakers, for instance, who claim to be introverts, but you wouldn't know it because of their speaking platform. So it's just kind of the same thing. It's something that I've had to adapt to because of the platform of fitness that I um, that I'm on. And so I've only recently got comfortable enough even like wearing them through workouts over the last couple years or so. But it for sure would be shocking all if I were to step out in my tank and my boxer briefs. That would definitely be (laughs) something that might offend the most of you. However, on this episode, that is exactly what I'm going to do. All right. I'm going to step out on the air in my tank and my boxer briefs. All right. So uh, so if you can handle that, stay tuned. If not, you may want to leave now. All right. Now, I won't be going full Captain Commando or doing, you know, anything exhibitionist style here, but I will be splashing into the waters of my upbringing for the sake of sharing something intimate with you all. And so here we go. I grew up in a very strict conservative household. I used to be what some may call a church boy, which I'm pretty sure, you know, over the last couple of years of the different challenges I've overcome, the different issues and things of that nature, I'm sure I have actively shed that persona. <laughs> Yet, as the oldest of eight growing up, I feel I had the toughest experience of strictness compared to my young, younger siblings and And as the years went on, my parents' rigidity, it lessened as they adapted to, you know, our multiple personalities, their shifting perspectives, their adjusting philosophies. And, you know, when parents have a child initially for their first child, especially it's it's, you know, super hands on deck. It's it's we've got to make you do this and make you become this. And, you know, it's a lot more hands on. It's a lot more high level concern and whatnot. Um, And so I was made to go to church five nights of the week. And so obviously Sunday, as you know, as a Christian, it was an all day affair, you know, multiple services, multiple segments, fellowship. I would have to wake up early, make it to Sunday school by 10 a.m. I remember my siblings and I, we would pack into the vehicle, you know, fight over seats and fight over who's what station we're going to listen to. My father always wanted to listen to sports and news and my mom didn't really care. And the kids wanted some music. And so it was always this adventure (laughs) on the way to the church. Right. Once we could finally pack in after Sunday school. We would have a brief intermission, snacking and fellowship. I'd get with my boys. We'd talk about this, one thing or another. Um, And then we'd head into our morning service, which would begin around noon. This was packed with fervor and people gave testimony and praise to the high heavens. And you might have seen, you know, who knows what you would have seen. You know, you would have seen the sick getting healed, you know, maybe the the lame beginning to walk, you know, all of those sorts of things. And who knows on any given Sunday what you would see. Maybe I would even get in on the action. Maybe I'd cut a step. Maybe I'd get caught up in worship. You know, maybe I'd have tears streaming from my eyes. And but. After morning service, we would either go home to eat, we would eat with friends and fellowship at the church or local restaurant. Now, at the time, it was the pinnacle of our week. I want you guys to understand that to be able to hang with friends and talk about church. That was our greatest pastime. That was it. We didn't do clubs. We didn't do parties and sleepovers. 
some of the rebels may have, but definitely in our household, we didn't do that. We didn't. Even, we weren't even allowed to watch TV, movies, that sort of thing. That was all things that we just could not do. Um, going to the you know amusement park, roller coasters, all of those things were just taboo for us. There was no church service on Monday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they were all days we were expected to be at church, and most days we made it. And back then, it was perfectly normal. And even if if I had a problem, like even if I wanted to rebel, rebel, I better not complain. Like I dare not suggest missing service or not going or whatever. All right. And so the most memorable and significant experience happened around the age of 12. And I'll never forget this. And uh, it was very, very much of an emotional time. Right. It was around the age of 12. Now, understand that the purpose of us going to church and, and doing all of the um, going to every service and all of the things that we were involved in was because the family and my family and our church, they were constantly preparing us for the rapture, which could happen at any time. Right. For those that don't know, that is a term that refers to like an apocalyptic time where believers are caught up to meet Christ in the air at some unspecified time. And it's for Christian, you know, Christians, we understand that in the Bible that this day is going to happen. And so we always had to be ready, be ready or be left out. And so as a child, honestly, it frightened me to death. Right. And it's also a huge reason that it pushed me to you know, adapt or adopt the moral code that I have adopted. But it was fear of missing out that pushed me to do all I could do to make this once in a lifetime event. And so it was April of 95 that I caught the Holy Ghost for the first time. It was a very energetic, euphoric, spiritual experience. I remember there were friends and family. They were all ecstatic. And I remember the relief sweeping over me, being ready for the big day. I am finally ready. I, I have, uh, I've made it in, in a sense. And this was April 2nd, 1995. I'll never forget it. However, it was April 9th, 1995, um, that my life changed forever. All right. I mean, this whole particular season, but these two days stand out the most. So in the months leading up to April 9th, 95, I want to kind of paint the picture for you. My church was actually visited by these prophets from LA. Okay. They were really well now, will really well known. Um, and their children have roots in the hip hop and secular culture, really popular out there in LA have produced for mega, um, uh, producers and artists in, um, in America and in our country. And so I'm not going to call any names. Um, However, they spoke gloom and doom concerning the end times and this lit a fire under my church leadership, because understand my church always believed that end times were near. They were coming and that the events of biblical proportions would definitely take place and that we need to be ready. But what these prophets did is they gave these events a tangible date. All right. They gave a visual time for when this would happen. And so 
bolstered by these West Coast, you know, prophets and whatnot, my church actually upped the ante in getting their message out and saving as many souls as they could. Right. So they bought radio campaigns. They created call centers. They ran billboard ads all across the D.C. metro area. And believe it or not, I actually Googled this recently just to see, if, you know, what I would find. And yeah, the stories are still there. And so my it recalled to my mind all of those prepubescent um, experiences and still very, you know, still very vivid when I do decide to go back to that time. And so the pastor of our church, he had had several interviews with local, you know, radio stations, TV stations, because people were clamoring, trying to figure out. I mean, this is big news. This is something that has been talked about in the Bible for as many years as Christians can believe. And, and now you're actually telling us that this is the day. So it peaked people. It peaked the curiosity. It, it, it sent a wave throughout all of the media outlets. And everybody wanted to know what what are your exact predictions? What did it mean for the church um, and humanity as a whole? And so, you know, our pastor was, you know, explaining it as best as he could. He was taking every opportunity, every moment to make sure that everybody knew what it is, that everybody shared in this passion, in this experience. We had terror services. We had extended altar calls. We had sleep ins at the church just to get us ready for this glorious triumphant day. And as a kid, I just, I want to be ready. And on that, and on that evening of April 2nd, that's when I punched my ticket. But it it was the Sunday morning of April 9th, 1995. That was the supposed day of the rapture, right? It's what we were told. Never mind the scripture stated that no man knows the day or the hour. This is what we knew was going to happen. This is where we're going to make our break. We're going to leave this world behind. And so I was with friends and family on this day. We're awaiting this colossal celestial event. Many people quit their jobs. They had taken their kids out of school. I remember standing on the front porch of the church, holding hands. Me and my boys, um, you know, boys I used to run with at the time. We were anxiously awaiting um, the return of the Lord. And we were watching the sky for our Lord's triumphant return. And nothing. I even remember standing on my tippy toes, right? Bouncing on my feet, trying to find a way to, to boost myself into the heavens. I mean, I didn't want to be left. They said it was today. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe God needs some help. You know, maybe I thought something I shouldn't have thought, did something I shouldn't have did. Let me help myself. I even imagined angel wings or or some sort of seismic event happening, right, to transform us into these new beings or our new atmosphere. I mean, the Bible did speak of a transformation, blinking of an eye and nothing well into the evening and still nothing. So I remember the next day I kept thinking maybe it's coming today. I kept looking for signs. I was, I was, uh, I turned into a great astronomer on that day, looking out into the great beyond. Maybe, maybe they were off by a day. Maybe the Lord waited for more people, but still nothing. And so eventually it became evident to me how wrong we were. I remember the pain of confusion and hurt, the sting of failed beliefs. 
The one thing we had been trained to believe our whole lives had become a tale of sorts. And so I'll never forget the day I saw my father first cry. It was a morning our pastor got up to deliver a tear-filled apology. It was stirring. It was powerful. It was a very vivid image of hurt and and pain that as just a preteen, it shook me to my core. It shattered my entire belief system. And it led me on a journey to discover new beliefs, new virtues, new morals. I literally had to relearn what life was really about and how to make the most of it. And I learned in the process that life isn't about getting out of it as fast as possible, as my upbringing would suggest. They were looking for this rapture to take us out. It's not about that. It's about finding value in life and making the most of it today. It's about living life to the fullest It's about finding strength to overcome every obstacle on your path to success, be it in fitness, be it in life, be it in your in your relationships. And those early lessons are what have propelled me to where I am today. It is what has unlocked such a passion for fitness. And so while I don't agree and I have disregarded a lot as it relates to those um, events of my youth, It is this fitness that I realize it is with this fitness that I realize that you can achieve anything. You see, fitness builds the physical and mental capacity that you and I both need to set goals and to follow our dreams. Fitness helps you feel alive and optimistic about life. It's what gives you the fuel to keep going. You fall down. Your ability to get back up and to get stronger is based on your level of fitness. Fit people don't stay down for long. Fit people are able to get back up. We're able to take the bad with the good. We don't wallow in our depression. We have our discouragement, but we don't let that sit with us. And so we understand that fitness is the key. It is the vehicle to achieve anything that you, that I want in life. And so as I leave for today, until next time, I want to inspire you to get fit, to stay fit, to be fit. And I'll talk to you guys next time. If I don't talk to you, I don't hear from you. Happy Thanksgiving. I love you all. I'll talk to you next time.